Sunday, November 1st, we welcome Jeremy Casella to Huntersville Associate Reformed Church to lead us in worship as we sing praises to our Lord, featuring original scores and classic hymns. Sunday, November 1st at 4 p.m. Hello, my name is Lee Shellnut, and I'm the pastor of the Huntersville Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. That's a mouthful, so we affectionately know of ourselves as HARP. We at HARP welcome you to the podcast of our preaching and teaching ministry. We're grateful that you've joined us. If you're encouraged by what you hear, we'd love to have you subscribe. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we love sharing the glorious good news of the Lord Jesus Christ as we preach and teach through the pages of Holy Scripture. So join us now as we open up God's Word. This is the invitation. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to see you all. I want to thank all of you who prayed for uh, Larry and myself as we were away this week for our Synod meeting. And for our Synod meeting, I believe the Lord indeed blessed and brought us through some difficult discussions, but got us in a, in a way that I think we're moving in a good direction on uh, several, several fronts. So we, we're very grateful. Thank you for your prayers. Our text this morning, you'll find on page 10 in your bulletin, uh, our text is the entirety of 2 Samuel chapter 18. Without further ado, let us go to the word of the Lord. Uh, by the Spirit, the life-giving Word, uh, the inspired Word of our triune God, the infallible Word that can never leave us astray, lead us astray, and the inerrant Word. God's words are true. Let's hear them. Then David mustered the men who were with him and set over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and David sent out the army, one-third under the command of Joab, one-third under the command of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the command of Atei, or Itai, the Gittite. And the king said to the men, I myself will also go out with you. But the men said, You shall not go out, for if we flee... They will not care about us. If half of us die, they will not care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us. Therefore, it's better that you send us help from the city. And the king said to them, Whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood at the side of the gate, and while all the army marched out by hundreds and by thousands, and the king ordered Joab and Abishai and Ittai, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave orders to all the commanders about Absalom. 
So the army went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim. And the men of Israel were defeated there by the servants of David. And the loss there was great on that day, 20,000 men. And the battle spread over the face of all the country, and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. And Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. Now Absalom was riding on his mule, and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak, and his head caught fast in the oak. And he was suspended between heaven and earth, while the mule that was under him went on. And a certain man saw it and told Joab, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak. And Joab said to the man who told him, What? You saw him? Why then did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have been glad to give you ten pieces of silver in a belt. But the man said to Joab, Even if I felt in my hand the weight of a thousand pieces of silver, I would not reach out my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing the king commanded you, and Abishai and Ittai, for my sake protect the young man Absalom. On the other hand, if I had dealt treacherously against his life, and there's nothing hidden from the king, then you yourself would have stood aloof. Now Joab said, I'll not waste time like this with you. And he took three javelins in his hand and he thrust them into the heart of Absalom while he was still alive in the oak. And ten young men, Joab's armor bearers, surrounded Absalom and they struck him and killed him. Then Joab blew the trumpet and the troops came back from pursuing Israel for Joab restrained them. And they took Absalom and they threw him into a great pit in the forest. And they raised over him a very great heap of stones. And all Israel fled, every one to his own home. And now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself the pillar that is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. And he called the pillar after his own name. And it's called Absalom's monument to this day. Then Ahiamaz, the son of Zadok, said, Let me run and carry the news to the king that the Lord has delivered him from the hand of his enemies. And Joab said to him, You're not to carry the news today. You may carry news another day, but today you shall carry no news because the king's son is dead. And then Joab said to the Cushite, Cushite, Cush, uh, what we would know of as southern Egypt or Sudan, uh, the Cushite, go tell the king what you have seen. And the Cushite bowed before Joab and ran. Then Ahiamaz, the son of Zadok, said again to Joab, Come, what may, let me also run after the Cushite. And Joab said, Why will you run, my son, seeing that you will have no reward for the news? Come, what may, he said, I'll run. So he said to him, Run. Then Ahiamaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. Now David was sitting between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof of the gate by the wall. When he lifted up his eyes and he looked, he saw a man running alone. And the watchman called out and told the king. And the king said, If he's alone, there is news in his mouth. And he drew nearer and nearer. And the watchman saw another man running. And the watchman called to the gate and said, See, another man running alone. And the king said, he also brings news. And the watchman said, I think the, the one running of the first is like the running of Hiamah, son of Zadok. And the king said, 
He's a good man and he comes with good news. Then Ahimaaz cried out to the king, All is well! And he bowed before the king with his face to the earth and said, Blessed be the Lord your God who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my lord the king. And the king said, Is it well with the young man Absalom? Hiamaz answered, when, when Joab sent the king's servant, uh, your servant, I, I saw a great commotion, but I don't know what it was. And the king said, turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. And behold, the Cushites came. And the Cushites said, good news for my lord the king. For the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. And the king said to the Cushite, is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. And the king was deeply moved. And he went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son my son, Absalom, would I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. The Word of God for the people of God. What kind of musical taste do you have? Do you have uh, basically one style one genre, one era, one type of music that you really love? Or are you varied in the sort of music that you like? We had our, my niece up a, a couple of weeks ago with her son, and her son's 8, 9, or 10 years old, and uh, he has just started getting into 50s and early 60s rock music. And so he's wanting to play a tune, and he plays a few bars of it, and then he'd move on to the other, and he said, How about this one? And I said, I think that, isn't that Frankie Valley? He said, No, 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 it's, it's the Four Seasons. And I said, Well, I think it's Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. But nevertheless, he's into that type of music. That's his, that's his thing these days. Is that you? Are you in a, one type of music, or do you like a varied palette? Uh, I've got a varied palette. I like all kinds of music. My musical tastes are eclectic. And there's a problem when your musical tastes are eclectic. Because that problem is you tend to have favorite artists all across various genres. And many of those artists, nobody else has a clue about. They just have no idea. And so we're going to do a little, exp little, little bit, uh, experiment this morning, particularly if you haven't looked at Facebook this morning or late last night. Uh, have you ever heard of the artist Pierce Pettis? How many of you? One, my wife, Joni. <laughs> we're both Pierce Pettis fans. Pierce Pettis is a man probably about 10 years older than me. Uh, he's basically a folk musician, uh, a Christian artist. He was particularly a friend of a fellow that you probably hadn't heard of either, Mark Hurd. And Mark Hurd died early. And uh, one of the things that Pierce Pettis has done is his, he's kept Mark Hurd's, um, his songs out. He'll, he'll come back with one after another after another. But he's got his own music. And one of his songs is entitled, Absalom, Absalom. 
And when I first heard it sometime in the 80s, I finally got this passage of Scripture. Before I had heard it, I had had a sort of different mindset and approach to this text. I don't know about you, but as we work our way through this second section of 2 Samuel, it is so easy to grow to despise this man by the name of Absalom, right? And by the time you get to this chapter and by the time you get to that mule going under the oak tree, you're saying, yes, or at least I used to be. He got what he had coming. And then when I would move from, from that to David's response where he's just weeping and wailing and he's just, I mean, they're all hearing him and he's crying out and his troops are crying out. I'm thinking, David, really? I mean, this is the son who had been trying to kill you. This is the son who'd started a civil war against you. This is the son who was taking the throne from you, taking your concubines, and was going to try to take your life. Are you going to whine this much? Well, this much? What's, what's the matter? And then when you move into chapter 19 and you get Joab's response uh, to David, to basically tell him to buck up, stop it, or are you going to drive all the troops away? and you lost everything. I'm just kind of nodding my head. Yeah, Joab, that's right. You tell him. You tell him. And I have been, or I was that way with this text until I heard Pierce, Pierce Pettis' song. And when I heard it, I pondered it. And I came back to this text more sympathetically. Let me give you the words of the song. Come and smear me with the branches of that tree... Hyssop dipped in innocent blood to make me clean. Let an old man's broken bones once more rejoice. Oh, Absalom, you are my little son. Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son, my son. Caught in the tangles of deceit, hanging lifeless from that tree. Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son, my son, caught by the tangles of your hair, the fruit of my own sins to bear. Oh, Absalom, you were the laughing boy who bounced upon my knee. You learned to play the harp and use the shepherd's sling, always watching my impressionable son. Oh, Absalom, what have I done? Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son, caught in the tangles of deceit, hanging lifeless from that tree. Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son, my son, caught by the tangles of your hair, the fruit of my own sins to bear. Oh, Absalom, you were watching when I took a good man's wife and gave the orders for his murder just to cover up the crime all the vanity, cruel arrogance, and greed. Oh, Absalom, you learned it from me. Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son, my son, called in the tangles of deceit, hanging lifeless from that tree. Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son, my son, caught by the tangles of your hair, the fruit of my own sins to bear. Oh, Absalom. Notice 
Pettus, good Alabama boy. Pettus captured two reasons for David's weeping, for David's wailing, for David's tears and his moaning and his crying out. And those two reasons were David was a loving father, but David was also a guilty father. A loving father and a guilty father. And in his concern for and in his grieving over Absalom, he nearly sets aside another reality. The reality that he was also the king being forced to go to war. A king forced to go to war, a loving father and a guilty father. Let's see those now from the text. First, David, the king, forced to go to war. Verse 1, then. Now, we're not told how much time uh, unfolds between chapter 17 and chapter 18, but evidently there's been uh, enough time to begin to have many men from Israel change their mind about who that they were going to follow. And many men are beginning to swell into David's camp on the other side of the river Jordan. Then David mustered the men who were with him and set over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. Again, see many Many of the Israelites realizing we're, we're backing the wrong guy and they're moving towards David. But also notice one other very interesting thing. It's not merely Jews who are going to David, but there are some Gentiles here. Ittai was called a what? A Gittite. Now a Gittite was an inhabitant, a citizen from Gath. Gath was a Philistine city. So you have a a Philistine in David's army. But you also have a Cushite. And again, Cush is what we would know of as as Lower Egypt and Sudan. And so you have him coming. You've got Gentiles coming. See in this, brothers and sisters, something very prophetic. That the king is going to draw believing Jews and Gentiles into his church, into his holy army. Verse 2. And David sent out the army, one-third under the command of Joab, one-third under the command of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the command of Ittai, the Gittite. And the king said to the men, I myself will also go out with you. But the men said, you shall not go out. For if we flee, they'll not care about us. If half of us die, they'll not care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us. Therefore, it's better that you send us help from the city. Think what they're saying is there may be more men coming to your aid. And and we'll go out and you stay at the city. We may need reinforcements and you can send them on. But you don't get in the front. You stay back. The king said to them, whatever seems best to you, I'll do. So the king stood at the side of the gate while all the army marched out by hundreds and by thousands. Now, I mentioned this morning that it's, it can be a tricky thing to use Civil War illustrations. And it can be a tricky thing, particularly since not all of you are Yankees and not only uh, all of you are Southern rebels, all right? Uh, we, we, we come from different parts of the world and, uh, or, and the country. And... We also come with different perspectives on the Civil War. 
who was in the right, who was in the wrong, who, who were the bad guys, and who were the good guys. And so I get all that. But the Civil War is just full of so many good illustrations that they can't resist. Let me tell you one more. I told you one last week. I'm going to tell you one today. This one comes to us via the historian Shelby Foote, and it comes to us through uh, Ralph Davis. And Shelby Foote is noting, and he's talking about in his history of the Civil War, the Battle of the Wilderness in Virginia in the year 1864. When that battle started getting going, hot and heavy, the federal troops broke through the southern lines. And General Lee, who was in control of the, uh, of, the, of the southern forces, he is with his cannoneers, and he is able, and they are able to stall the advance of the northern troops, at least for a time, but their ammunition is going to run out, and he knows it. And so he is hoping and he's praying for reinforcements. And about that time, he looks and he sees a brigade of Texans heading his way. And he was ecstatic. And as he's ecstatic, he gets on his horse, Traveler, and he, he, he rides out to meet the Texans. And he rides out to meet them to then lead them right into battle. And he's thinking they're just, going, they're just going to follow him. He's going to charge in heroically and then they're going to just bash into the northern lines. Well, he starts and the Texans stand still. They don't budge. They stay put. They refuse to go forward. And instead, they begin chanting, Lee to the rear, Lee to the rear, Lee to the rear. They were, they were telling, they were chanting to General Lee, get behind us. Now why? Because they disrespected him? No. Because they what? Cherished and loved and respected him. They didn't want him to take the bullet fire of the northerners. They wanted him protected. And the same thing is happening here in this text. These men who are gathering to King David loved King David, no matter what he had done, no matter all of his failings, and it was pretty public record, they loved, cherished, and valued David. In essence, they say, David to the rear, David to the rear, David to the rear. He was a beloved king. A beloved king forced to go to war. But he was also, notice... A loving father. Verse 5. And the king ordered Joab and Abishai and Ittai, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave orders to all the commanders about Absalom. Imagine them. And they're hearing what he's saying. For my sake, deal gently with the young man Absalom. Jump down to verse 33. And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. Now, he's grieving, I think, at least on a, a surface level because he was seeking to do good to love even his enemies. 
Whether from a human perspective that was wise or not, he didn't want Absalom to be killed on the battlefield. But there's something, something much deeper going on. This was his little boy. This was his son. This was the one he had held in his arms. This was the one he had bounced on his knee. He had taught him how to hunt. He had taught him, no doubt, musical instruments like, like the lyre. He had taught him how to hold a sword. This was his son. And no matter how much Lee might have, might have uh, come to the point of despising Absalom, his father didn't. David, has, David had wiped his nose. David had no doubt wiped his brow when he was running a fever and sick as a little boy. David, as I said this morning, anachronistically knew what it meant to change his diapers. David would have picked up Absalom as a young boy when he fell and cut his knees and brushed him off and hugged him and kissed him. Father's here is weeping. Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. Feel his anguish. Feel his grief. When children go bad, and we all know children can go bad, can't they? When children go bad, when they go wild, so on their wild oats, as if nothing matters. When they go cruel, even endangering parents. When they, when they grow just totally indifferent to the, all this Christianity stuff. When children go bad, loving parents do what? They keep loving. And often to their own great hurt. Right? Pettis, you were the laughing boy who bounced upon my knee. You learned to play the harp and use the shepherd's sling, always watching my impressionable son. Oh, Absalom, what have I done? Absalom, David, Ahithophel, Joab, all these names are names of real people with real emotions and real feelings and real hurts like yours. And they also had real sins. David was the king who was forced to go to war. David was a loving father. And David was what? A guilty father. Verse 33, And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. Now get the next thing. Would I had died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, 
my son, my son, you need to read that cry, that wail, through again the lens of chapter 12 and Nathan's rebuke of King David when Nathan said, Thus said the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. Now notice too David's response. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. When Seth read the words of assurance, what was that? God putting away your sins. The Lord has also put away your sins. But you shall, you, and you shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who's born to you shall die. And that first child, that first son with Bathsheba, what happened to him? He died. But what was happening now? Another son. Another son was hanging in a tree. In his fatherly discipline and temporal punishment of David, another son was dying and died. And, and even though, make sure we, you get this and we get this, even though Absalom was guilty of rebellion, he was guilty of gross and heinous sins, he was guilty and he died because of his sin, he was also in that spot. Why? Because of the sin of his father. You were watching when I took a good man's wife and gave the orders for his murder just to cover up the crime. All the vanity, cruel arrogance, and greed. Oh, Absalom, you learned it from me. Hanging in a tree, javelins piercing his heart, yanked down, all these men pummeling him. He's dead, thrown into a pit, and in mock stoning, Stone upon stone upon stone heaped up over his dead body. Oh, Absalom, you learned it all from me. Fathers and mothers, grandfathers and grandmothers, this is an immensely scary, weighty passage. Oh, Absalom, you learned it all from me. It's a weighty and a scary passage, but it's also a passage embedded with hope. Glorious, deep hope. And to see it, we need to move and, 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 and change our focus from David to Absalom. The Absalom hanging by his hair and head from that oak tree. 
who hung between heaven and earth. Pettis also rightly catches where this text is leading us, where this story should take us. And he does so in very, very good artistic fashion. He does so by, by just a few brief words and word choice and the images that are conjured up by those word choices. And he does it in the very first two lines of his song. Let me give those to you once again. Come and smear me with the branches of that tree. Hyssop. You make the connections, you who know your Bibles. Hyssop. Dipped in innocent blood to make me clean. Pettis and pinning those lines was not saying Absalom was innocent. He's pointing us forward. Let me ask you some simple questions. Who was hanging on that tree, out of that oak tree, between heaven and earth? Absalom, but who was Absalom? The son of David. Why was he hanging between heaven and earth from that tree? Yes, because of David's guilt, as we've seen, but also because of what? His own sin. Hanging in a tree. And the, and, and the scripture makes it clear, between heaven and earth. Which represents the rejection of Absalom by both. He's rejected by God and he's now rejected by man. Judged by both. Wanted by neither. Cast your mind back to the law. Deuteronomy chapter 21. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he's put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is what? Cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. And Paul picks up that very passage in his letter to the Galatians. And what does Paul say? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, 14, verse 14 of chapter 3, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to Gentiles so that we might be received, that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Absalom as he hung there, Absalom as he was pierced through, points us forward to another son of David, the son of David, who would hang between heaven and earth on the tree of the cross. And as he hung there, what did he cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?
And he cries that out amidst the jeers of the people whose feet are planted firmly on the earth who are doing what? Jeering him and rejecting him. Jesus hanging between heaven and earth, rejected by both. Abandoned. Dying. And he will be pierced through. For his sin? No. He was the innocent one whose blood was shed for sinners like David and sinners like you if you are trusting in him. He had to take on flesh first. Then he took on the role, the job, the task, the work of the Messiah. And in that role and in that task, what else does he take on? He takes on the sins, all the sins of all of his people throughout all of time. So much so that he can be declared to be sin. Let that sink in. The Holy One from all eternity, the completely righteous one taking on sin so much so that he's considered to be sin. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. And you ask, How? Paul continues, Paul says, For our sake He made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become what? The righteousness of God. Jesus is the Son hanging between heaven and earth whose heart was pierced. Who dies. And he dies as the all-sufficient sacrifice for sin. And he was taken down. And as it were, he was thrown into the pit, the pit of a tomb. And rock, a big huge rock, was rolled in front of that tomb. But unlike Absalom, who was unable to, to revive and come out of the pit, what does Jesus do? On the third day, he busts the tomb, as I said last time, wide open. He burst uh, the spiced tomb. Why? Because his sacrifice had been accepted by the Father. And that he might be our justification, so that he might offer us eternal life so that He might grant us peace with God. It's so ironic. Do you know what the name Absalom means? The one who throws a civil war. The one who throws a coup d'etat. The one who's out to kill his dad. Do you know what his name means? Father of peace. He's not the son we need. He's not the son of David we need. We need the prince of peace who through His shed blood, His broken body, His resurrection, through His ascension, He now offers unto us His righteousness and peace with God. 
So the question is, how do you respond? And some of you are saying, well, Pastor Lee, I responded years and years and years ago. I placed my faith and trust in Jesus. Well, would you do it again? Every single opportunity, every single day, we are called to place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Do it today, but maybe you never have done it. This is what I implore you to do. I implore you to take the words of David and make those words your very own. What did verse 33 say? And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son, my son, my son, Absalom. What else does he say? Would I have died instead of you? If you've never placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, cry out to God and say, I deserve the death that Jesus suffered in my place. Forgive me of my sins and enable me to trust in Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. You are not promised tomorrow. Today, Jesus Christ, through a frail, broken preacher, extends to you the offer of peace with God through the body and blood, the life and death, and the resurrection of the Son of David. Place your faith and trust in Him. Let's pray. Come and smear us with the branches of that tree, hyssop dipped in innocent blood to make us clean. Open every single heart here, O oh sovereign, powerful, saving God, and help us to see we should have been the ones hanging between heaven and earth. And help us to place a God-given faith in Jesus Christ. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. Let's turn to a beautiful hymn. You'll find it on page 13. It's a hymn that we oftentimes sing around Good Friday. Let's stand to sing.
what do your sins deserve? Look on the one who hung between heaven and earth. That's what your sins deserve. But sinners, here's the good word. Receive it. Receive the benediction in the words of the last verse of that hymn. Here we have a firm foundation. Here the refuge of the lost. Christ the rock of our salvation, His the name of which we boast. Lamb of God, for sinners wounded, sacrifice to cancel guilt. None, none, none shall ever be confounded who on Him their hope have built. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's you. That's you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.